0: The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Dennis Johnson. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. This is the second of our six meditations this semester on Acts 6, one through seven. Let me read our text again. Acts chapter six, verses one through seven. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God. A couple weeks ago we looked at those, uh, that theme of our Lord loving lots. Uh, we noticed the theme of multitudes and multiplication, multiplication in verses 1 and 7, multitude mentioned in verses 2 and 5. God loves to have a large number of his people. And we heard those terms in the light of the theme that the Holy Spirit had already been developing through Uh, Luke's narrative from Jesus' parable of the sower and the seed and the soil, uh, where fruitful soil bears a hundredfold. And then early in the book of Acts, uh, the the numbers, uh, the the conversion of 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And then the numbers up to 5,000 men plus women and children. And then chapter five, verse 14. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of men, And women. Our Lord loves lots. He also loves different. He loves diversity. He uh, delights in it, in fact, and he loves variety. And that's our theme today diversity, but also with a little bit of a shadow related to division. And we're going to see that resolved in our coming meditations. But diversity. And you see that, of course, if you look at the Bible. Uh, just look at the first chapter of Genesis. God creates all different kinds of plants and trees and fish and birds and animals, large and small, mammals, reptiles, insects, the whole works. And in developing the human race in his providence, God has given his human image bearers many shades of skin tone, many languages, a vast variety of diets and clothing and shelters and musical styles and arts and crafts and jobs god loves diversity and his divine glory is so great it will take all the diversity and then some uh, that we see reflected in his whole creation to really praise him adequately for all eternity that's part of the point of the psalm that we just sang psalm 148 that we need angels and sun and moon and stars and seas and sea creatures and lightning and hail and snow and winds and hills and mountains and creeping things and cattle and birds and kings and princes and people young and old to praise God. He loves diversity. The vision granted to John in Revelation 4 and 5 shows us that we see choirs expanding and expanding, four living creatures praise God for his infinite holiness, his infinite power. And then 24 elders chime in, praising him for creation. And then those two merge into a choir of 28 to praise God even more, to praise the Lamb uh, for his redemptive work. And, And then millions of angels. And then, by the end of chapter five, it's every creature everywhere, heaven, earth, under the earth, praising God. And then in chapter seven, another vision, we see that the vast variety of the human family, especially get to praise God for his redemptive work. John saw from every nation, a multitude that no one could number, from tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, singing, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You and I are just not big enough People who look like us are not enough, who talk and walk like us, who eat the same kind of food. We're not enough to praise him adequately. So God loves diversity. But in this stained world, diversity has a downside. As we know, it's easily twisted to foster prejudice and racism, privilege for some, privation, for others and misunderstandings of all sorts and we see just the seed of that here in the early church, in the the honeymoon period as the church is riding this wave of growth that God has given when he poured out his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Beautiful diversity of God's people now now beginning to be seen uh, but at the same time a danger of division. Four words in verse one that we want to look at Hellenists and Hebrews, widows, and complaint. Got to talk about the complaint too. That'll get you back here in a couple weeks for the next one, I hope. Okay? But Hellenists and Hebrews and widows, diversity. The diversity that Jesus plans for his redeemed community. We've already actually seen it in the book of Acts if we'd started at the beginning, uh, because we know that there are Hellenists and Hebrews here because of what Luke told us in chapter 2, that the people present to hear the good news of the mighty deeds of God in Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came in such power, were listening to that good news in all their heart languages. And they were people from the east, Parthian, Medes, and Elamites, and Mesopotamians, from right close to home, Judea, from the northwest, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, from the southwest, Egypt, the parts of Libya around Cyrene, Visitors as far away as Rome, the capital of the empire. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, island people in the middle of the Mediterranean, Arabians, desert people out on the edge. Near and far, east and north and south and west, people had come for Pentecost, first fruits, and God had touched their hearts and drawn people in. So no wonder they're both Hebrews and Hellenists here. Now, Remember, I just said Acts 2. Jews and proselytes, that's the group. That is, native-born descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jews. And proselytes who are Gentile converts to Judaism, who have left their pagan past, and through sacrifice and circumcision, have now pledged their allegiance to the true God of Israel. Everybody at this point in the Jerusalem church has in one way or another a connection with Judaism, and they've come to faith in Jesus as Messiah. No full, outright pagan Gentiles here yet. Okay? So it's a linguistic division. Hellenists, Hebrews. The Hellenists speak Greek as their heart language, the Hebrews speak A Semitic language, Luke may be including both Aramaic and Hebrew here, but they're probably mostly from Judea or Galilee. Um, And the Hellenists, no doubt, have come from the dispersion. Many Jewish, ethnically Jewish, descended from Abraham, many Gentile converts, proselytes as well. So It's a linguistic distinction that's being drawn. But, of course, behind a linguistic distinction is probably other things, too. Attitudes toward the wider Greco-Roman culture, uh, actually both in the dispersion and within native-born Palestinian Jews. There were some who liked what Greek Greek, uh, philosophy had to say. Somebody liked Philo from Egypt. And there were some who were repelled by what Greek philosophy had to say and the thought that that Judaism could be merged, Uh, likely, Saul of Tarsus, who was from the dispersion, maybe spoke as good Greek as he did Hebrew, although he did speak Hebrew. He tells us that uh, in Philippians. Uh, But he was probably one who was really skittish about Greek culture. But still, differences, differences. Linguistic, cultural differences, um, economic differences. Back in chapter four, we read about a man from the dispersion, from Cyprus, who is a fairly wealthy landed property owner. Joseph, whom the apostles called Barnabas, a man of great generosity. Here we have widows who don't know where their next meal is coming from. So a lot of variety already. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Where did it come from? Well, we might say it comes from Pentecost. That's for sure true. But remember that in Jesus' earthly ministry, he kept trespassing over the line between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. He would minister in the Decapolis, over on the east side, southeast side of the Galilee, where where it's mainly Gentile. Uh, He would tell good news to a Samaritan adulteress and lots of her neighbors, and they acclaimed him savior of the world. Uh, He would grant grace to a humble, believing Roman army officer. He would heal the daughter of a desperate Gentile Syrophoenician mother Jesus tended to do that and where does it come from well it comes from the heart of God announced much much earlier to Abraham God said Abraham apart from the nations right at the very beginning of the call to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 God said I will bless those who bless you and call and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that's God's agenda, to to set apart one faithful man called by grace, set apart one particular family for the sake of blessing all the earth's families. And now, with Jesus' death having broken down the wall between Jew and Gentile and the wall between guilty humanity and the holy God, now, with Jesus enthroned at the Father's right hand, with all authority in heaven and on earth, and authorizing, commanding his followers to make disciples of all the nations, now God's global agenda announced in preview form to Abraham, now it's happening. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Global, multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic people of God, one. We have a little kind of a preview of that, even in this room. It's a wonderful, beautiful privilege we have. Well, yes, but um, it's not all idyllic. So Hebrews, Hellenists, widows, going hungry, and then there's complaint, because diversity as much as it is God's agenda, as beautiful it is, as it is, and as much as it's necessary for his creatures to worship him adequately, we need all of us with all of our differences to worship him, as, as great as that is, it poses a danger of division. Now we're gonna see the Lord avert that division, so fear not, but, uh, but it's here in the word complaint, ESV renders it complaint. I personally prefer grumbling because the Greek term actually is a word that is characterized by what our old English teachers called onomatopoeia. Uh, That is, it's a word that makes its name. It sounds like what it is. The Greek term is gongousmas. Gongousmas. You hear the gritted teeth? You hear the growl? It's grumbling. It's a term that appears here and there in the New Testament and here and there in the Old Testament, but mostly is concentrated in the Old Testament in the narrative of Israel in the wilderness. We're gonna die of thirst. Not more manna. Tired of manna. We need some meat. And leeks and garlics and all the good stuff we had back in Egypt. Grumbling. Now scripture makes it very plain that the moss in the Greek Old Testament of Israel was because of their unbelief. No hint here that the Hellenists are unbelieving whiners. In fact, we'll see next time the response of the apostles acknowledges this is a real problem. But it does kind of signal the fact that there is a potential for division when God puts different kinds of people together. Actually, because we're all different from one another, there's a potential for division anywhere, right? Every marriage seems to have one man and one woman and they don't always see things eye to eye, right? Whenever God puts sinful people together and we rub elbows, there's some friction, and friction can lead to sparks, and sparks can lead to explosions. And sometimes the more difference, the worse it gets. Now, I need to say one more thing, too. Remember what's going on here. This is not, um, if you pictured the scene as this vast church fellowship hall with some tables being Greek speakers and other tables being Hebrew or Aramaic speakers. And the Aramaic-speaking tables always get to go first to the buffet line and heap their plates and then, and then the poor Greek-speaking widows don't have any, no, that's not what's going on here. The church number's in the thousands. Opposition from the hierarchy in charge of the temple is increasing. Uh, So they may or may not be able to gather there. But Luke, but Luke tells us in Acts 2 that when they were sharing their food together, it was in houses. It was in homes. It was in dozens, maybe hundreds of home house churches scattered all over Jerusalem. And quite naturally, some of those are going to be worshiping and fellowshipping and receiving instruction in Hebrew or Aramaic, their heart language, and others, having come from the Greek dispersion, are going to be worshiping in Greek. So that's the logistical problem, that some of those houses are kind of out of sight, out of the vision of the apostles, and, and it's just more than they can possibly manage. Um, and they will take, they will take action. One more thought. We are going to see them take action in a way that shows that the servant leader heart of Jesus has begun to make its imprint on these men. Men who at an earlier point were more than willing to kind of shield Jesus from the distraction of insignificant little children. Keep him away. Keep him away. He's got important things to do. Are going to stop everything to attend to the needs of widows who might appear to be not very fruitful, useful members of the body of Christ, but whom Jesus cares for deeply. We're gonna see in them the beginning of the reflection of Christ who went to the cross for people who are not particularly useful to him, though he will use us by his grace, he comes because we're in need, not because we're doing him some favor. He comes to rescue us. And that's what we're going to see in, in the apostles. It's going to cost them. It's going to cost them maybe a bit of reputation. Certainly it's going to cost them control. Uh, they're, they're learning that the one who must be who is first in Jesus' kingdom must be servant of all. And we'll see that. And they're willing to pay that price. Our Lord loves variety. I need to wrap up here, time's gone. Even when variety, diversity, and the tensions and the friction that it generates makes us uncomfortable, uh, the Lord, in his grace, is gonna teach us servanthood uh, and tear down walls that would otherwise divide us through our differences. I mentioned the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. From the dispersion, But Hebrew speaking, I was taught Hebrew so I could read Torah, okay, by my parents, staunch Pharisees, once violently zealous to preserve Israel's separation. That's what Pharisee means, actually, separated one. Separation from the nations, separation from the Gentiles, but eventually captured and sent to the Gentiles. And uh, and Paul says, God's secret, God's mystery, once hidden but now displayed for everyone to see, is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And Paul says, I was privileged to be a servant according to the gift of God's grace to preach to those outsiders different from us, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ so that through the church, in all of its variety, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's Paul's conclusion in Ephesians chapter three. That's what God's doing. Diversity, yeah, danger of division, but God's grace humbling us can overcome it for his glory. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to see the vastness of your mercy across the whole human family, to treasure the differences among us, not let them become sources of division or prejudice, and counteract whatever temptations to misunderstanding they pose through the humble servant ministry of Jesus. Father, thank you that you have called us, who were, by and large, way outside the covenant and the covenant community of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. But now we are children of Abraham by faith in Jesus. And glorify yourself, not only on earth, but even to those watching in the heavenly places in this church that Jesus is assembling.